and to be a part of this particular program to discuss what we have to discuss. I appreciate the fact that Brother Huggins is here. We shared something several years ago that I don't think I want to experience again. He mentioned the fact that we were in school over on Ann Street and somehow or other. We decided that we'd go out to kill the prison and be some brave, stalwart men and watch an execution. And we got the permission of the people who were involved. And they carried us back into the kitchen, and I recall still the newsmen as they were eating and laughing. And finally, we went into the death chamber, and I had a handkerchief with ammonia, camphor ice, and whatever else I had. And we watched that execution, and I don't know what time Bill went to sleep the next morning. But when Ellie Wickham got up to go throw his papers, I don't think I'd slept very much. I don't recommend that thing. But that's the road that Bill and I went down together, and I'm delighted to be here. And I rejoice in what this school is doing. I think I know a little about it. In trying to talk to people over the state of Alabama about what may be done, we don't have to make any apologies whatsoever for the people who are involved. The teachers that we have that are involved in this particular school are making a contribution to the lives of the people who are here. We have scattered over this state numbers of men whose lives have been touched by this school and continue to be touched. And only eternity will ever be able to measure what Brother Rex Turner's contributed. I think he's doing the greatest work in his life. I think that he's having more real impact on the pulpits of this particular state than any single man among us because of what he's doing. The miles that he's traveled, the classes that he's taught, and the people that he's influenced, so that they might also make that contribution. And I know that you want to congratulate him and offer his, your support for what he's doing. I appreciate the fact that over the state, numbers of churches are involved in providing aid and assistance for the people who are involved in the work of this school. I don't recommend the speaker that he recommended for this particular topic. I recommend the whole lecture program. But why on earth a friend would assign you a subject like this, I have no earthly idea. I don't know whether you've looked at your library lately, but if you will, I challenge you to send me a copy of all the material you have on justification. Yes. Put it in a little small envelope. It won't take one of these manila. I can tell you that. I've searched mine throughout. But the Raymond Bush is here this afternoon, and he was kind enough to go through and Xerox his, much as that he had. And uh, there has a, arisen a dearth in our particular day 
so far as the matter of justification. Not in what the Bible says about it, but in what has been written. This term was used to a great extent during the Reformation period. There was a great deal of discussion about the matter of justification. But much of it had to do with showing that they thought that a man was justified by faith alone, rather than by the meritorious works of the Roman Catholic Church. And really, what they were dealing with, not so much as the matter of justification, but rather the idea of how an individual is justified. And so today, we want to address ourselves. In the time that's allotted to what the New Testament, the divine principles that have to do with justification. Now, brethren, I'm going to do something that I heard a good brother do years ago over here when James Watkins and Bill and I were over in the old Ann Street School. This good brother came up and spoke in chapel, and when he got to a point, he said, I'm going to tell you when I get to it. You're going to take an outline, and we'll tell you when you get to it, and when you get to it, then you put it down. That's the point. Well, I'll have to do that in order for you to know when a point starts. But first of all, let's talk about the meaning of justification. What do we mean when we talk about justification? Well, if you take your Bible, you'll find, I find, on one page of my New Testament, the three times that the word appears in the New Testament. It's in Romans 4.25, raised for our justification. 5.16, offenses unto justification. All men under justification of life in verse 18. Three times you will find the word justification. What are you talking about? Well, this little word came up in the study that it's a forensic term. Now that's a $2 word. You have to use those. People wouldn't think you're educated if you didn't use words like that. Somebody said to Charles Hodge some time ago, said, do you know what procrastination means? He said, why, sure, that's one of the main doctrines in the Church of Christ. <laughs> well, you, you've got to use these big phrases. If you don't use those, folks won't think you're educated. What do you mean? Well, it's the kind of a thing called a forum and a court of law out of which a certain term or a certain judgment may be rendered. What justification means and what an individual is said to be when he is justified, it says a man stands in an approved relationship. And talk about what his past is then, what the future may be, but at that particular time, he has been acquitted, declared as not guilty, and is treated as though he had never been guilty. That's what's involved in justification. Well, that goes a little beyond the idea of being paroled. A man who is paroled is an individual who is considered still to be guilty, but paroled in spite of his guilt. It goes even beyond the idea of pardon, doesn't it? A man who has been pardoned has been freed from the uh, defendant, but he's still considered guilty. Justification goes beyond that. It considers the individual as though he had never been guilty. And if you take your Bible, you'll find as you move through it, 
that it set in contrast to condemn or condemnation. In Romans chapter 8, verse 34 and 35, he says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Then he said, It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? There's the term justify on the one hand. There's the idea of justify or condemnation on the other. In Deuteronomy 25, verse 1, if there be a controversy between men and there come judgment, that the judges may judge them. Then it says, And they shall justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. There's the word justify and condemn used in contrast with one another. Whatever's involved in justification is not in condemnation. Whatever's in condemnation is not in justification. In Job chapter 9, verse 20, he said, If I justify myself, mine own mouth will condemn me. In Proverbs 17, verse 15, He that justifies the wicked, and he that condemneth the just, even both are an abomination unto God. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 37, By thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. There's the idea of condemnation, there's the idea of justification. They're placed in contrast, one with the other. But now then, there is the meaning of justification. We begin to get the idea of what's involved here. Now I'm going to make a point. Number two. There is a must of justification. There's a number of passages that could be cited. But Isaiah 59, verse 2 sets out why one ought to be justified. Your sins and your iniquities are separated between you and your God. Ezekiel 18, verse 4, The soul that sinneth it shall surely die. The latter part of that verse. That makes justification necessary, doesn't it? If you take your Bible and open it to the third chapter of Romans, and you will find in verse 20 it said, Therefore that the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. What's the context of that? The context of that is Romans 1, 18, and down to that particular place. And if you turn back and start reading at about verse 18, you'll find why man must be justified. Why, in verse 20, he talks about justification that grows out of the need for it as he describes man's condition. Now, notice what he says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man's environment. Oh, not his environment. Of the fact that he's born of Adam. Oh, that's not what the passage says. That here it is of man. And I challenge you to go through the first chapter of the book of Romans and see the act of man, the act of man, the act of man, the act of man. And sin is charged to man in these particular chapters not because of his environment, but because of what he does. Isn't that significant? Isn't there an element of significance that in the first chapter of the book of Romans, that over and over he said, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. They disowned God. Then their minds were dark. Then they departed from the standard. 
And you can go right down through the first chapter of the book of Romans, and you just watch that domino effect, just one after another, and they're on a roller coaster. Get down to the last verse, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. And they even delight in those who sin. The second chapter in the first verse says that man like that is without excuse. Verse 2 indicates that that particular individual will have the judgment of God against him. In verse 5, he faces the wrath of God. Verse 8 and 9, face indignation, wrath, and tribulation, and anguish. In verse 12, shall perish. Just rapid fire, one after another. The state of man and the fact of what he has to face. In chapter 3 and in verse 9, after he's made these arguments with reference to the condition of men, what then? Are we better than they, knowing no wise? For we have before proof, both Jews and Gentiles, that all are under sin. Now, justification in the must and a man is all right, even in spite of the fact that he's under sin. Then he comes down to verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Does it need to be justified? Seems to be like that the must of his justification becomes involved. They seek not after God in verse 11, that is, after the due order, as they ought to seek after. They're going out of the way, they become altogether unprofitable, there is none that doeth good. No, not one, not an exception to that. Their throat is an open sepulchre, with their tongues they use deceit and poison of asses under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursings and bitterness. Now, as their words, the next two verses talks about their weight. There's no question at all about where man stands, as Paul here talks about. He comes down to the 19th verse, and he said, For we know that what sort of things the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, watch it, and all the world may become guilty before God. What's the indictment? What's the indictment? Here's the court's been in session, the evidence has been presented, and God's the judge. What is the indictment? All the guilty. Does that mean then that you need to have a judgment rendered as to the state of man? Is man all right without a judgment rendered? Can he just simply live like that? And who's for him? And it said, whose mouths must be stopped. Stop from what? Trying to justify it. Trying to say it's hereditary. It's an environment. I heard about a boy up in New York. I'll go north of the Mason-Dixon. And if out in New York, I don't guess he's one of your cousins. We'll talk about him anyway. But he was just getting all out of sorts with his, in his father's home. And finally, his daddy called him in and said, Son, I think we need to talk to you. We're having some problems. So he came in and flipped one foot over the arm of the chair. And he said, All right, Daddy-O, let's talk about it. What do you think it is, hereditary or environment? He just go to blame the daddy to say, That's what the problem is. Well, it seems to me that in the reading of Romans 1, 2, and 3, that we ought to be able to determine that man is the cause of sin, and it's not because Adam sinned in Romans chapter 5. 
I don't have to get to Romans 5 to determine why sin came into the world and what the, the problem is. And when I get to Romans 5, any construction that I put on Romans 5, 12 to 18, if it's in conflict with the conflict with the condition of man and the fact that man's a free borrowed agent and exercises himself into is a false construction. It has to be. The writer of the Roman letter would not allow that. And so it has to be seen there that there is a must of justification. And we must admit that we need that justification. You turn to the 18th chapter of the book of Luke, and you start at about verse 9, and you'll find the Lord talking about those people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And by the way, the word righteous and righteousness oftentimes is another word used for justification. And so they trusted in themselves that they stood justified, that they were right. And the Lord talks about this old fellow that stands there in the temple and prays, and he thanks God that he's not as other men. And if anybody asks that individual, do you need justification? No. No, sir. What about the publican standing over here afar off that would not as much as lift his eyes to heaven, smote himself upon the breast, and said, God be merciful to be a sinner? You think he'd try to justify himself? No, sir, he recognizes the guilty person. My New Testament says in, in Luke 18, verse 14, that he went down to his house justified rather than the other. That is, there's the need of it. Number three, what is the medium of justification? We know what the meaning is. We know the must is that. Now, what's the medium of justification? It's God who justifies. In Romans chapter 8, verse 33, it's God that justifies. In Romans 3, verse 26, and in Romans 4, verse 5. Now, since it's God that justifies, how can God be just and holy and at the same time allow an individual to be saved to stand acquitted before him as though he had never sinned? What's the medium? Well, let's just start reading in verse 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, a covering, to take care of the sins that men have committed. Through faith in his blood to declare the righteousness for the remission of sins of the past, through the forbearance of God to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier. He can be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Now, how is he going to do it? His law has been violated. Man stands before God guilty. Now, how can a just God make provision for that man who's guilty of violating his law and at the same time be considered to be just? Can he ignore the fact that man has sinned? And just pass over it and say, well, really and truly, I required too much anyway. I asked more than I could have asked under these circumstances. Is that what he does? Or is he saying that what I said was an unreasonable request? Compassion may reach out and say, Now here's one of my own creatures that violated my law, and I'd like to save him. You ever made a rule like that? You ever told one of your children, Now this is what we're going to do, or this is what we're not going to do, and one of those children stumbled right into that thing and did it? What did you want to do? You wanted to reach out and say, we'll make an exception, and then that child said, that law doesn't mean what he's saying. 
God giving his law and being just must require that punishment be executed. The best example I know is in the sixth chapter of the book of Daniel, where Darius the Mede was sitting upon the throne. There are those enemies of Daniel that knew that they could find no fault in him, save as concerned him and his God. They have a decree that's signed, and it's backed by the law of the Medes and the Persians, that's altered not, that passeth not, the footnote says. That doesn't change, you just don't tamper with that law. Anybody that makes a request to any slave to the king within 30 days, cast into the lion's den. And the very next thing you know, after that decree is signed, Daniel goes into his house, opened his door towards Jerusalem, and prayed. In the latter part of the verse he said, and when he knew that the decree was signed, in the latter part he did as he did before that. He changed his policy. He lived by principle, and he said, that doesn't make any difference. Those enemies saw what Daniel had done. That report then carried to the king, and the king immediately was offended in himself. Now, this wouldn't fit God. But he regrets that that law has been made because now he's fallen into their trap, and he sought until the going down of the sun to deliver Daniel. There's compassion that reaches out. But all that is that law that has to be satisfied. What are you going to do? Suppose that he had a son that never had violated the law he had. Suppose he had a son that had never transgressed one of his laws. And he said, son, what are we going to do? And his son said, daddy, I'll go to the lion's den. You cast me into the den of lions and let me be consumed, and I'll take what it is. And he carries them to the lion's den, and before he is to the bottom of the pit, they have torn his body asunder. Has the law been met? One has to go. Can he extend mercy to Daniel? Does he have no respect for his law? Has he trampled underfoot the law that said anybody that does it, that that individual does that, because of that, somebody's going to have to suffer? He upholds his law, doesn't he? Somebody tell me that if I had to send my son to the cross to die for the sins of men, that I could not then extend mercy and say that the law, I've gone that far to show that I uphold the law. And that whatever I do, I can be judged in justifying the ungodly. It doesn't cheapen what God did. It raises it to a level. It occupies a tremendous pinnacle in God's dealings with man. No wonder in the 24th verse he said being justified freely by his grace. Anybody have any doubts about it? Anybody have any doubts of whether or not God's grace is involved in his medium of justification? Turn to the fifth chapter of the book of Romans and read verse 8 and 9 when he said, But God commended his love toward us that yet while we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. How are we justified? By blood. Who's what? The blood of his son. Here's the meat. Now, I'm going to make a point. Number four. What is the method of justification? What's the method? 
I don't want the medium is. I want the method of justice. Now, it's God that justifies. It's God that gave his son. Now, who has the right to say how man is to be justified? Somebody said, well, now, then, if God tells me to do anything, then it becomes a matter of merit. You don't use that kind of position. You're right. That man has not recognized the depth and the depravity and the damage done by sin. That man doesn't live. If that king had sent his son down to the bottom of the lion's pit and he died and told Samuel to push, his, uh, push a peanut across the empire with his nose, Daniel, when he finally rubbed all the skin off of it a dozen times, he could not have said, I merited to escape. No way he could do that. And the man that says that whatever God requires certain things of me, it becomes no longer a matter of grace, but a matter of death. That individual ignores that situation. Let me tell you how, from a negative standpoint, one is not justified. He's not justified by his own reasoning or by his own system. I read over in Jeremiah 3 and verse 11 that backsliding Israel justified itself or herself more than treacherous Judah. How did she do that? Well, by trying to justify or say that what we're doing is right. In Luke 10, 29, he willing to justify himself, said to the Lord, who is my neighbor? He tried to put himself in a right position. We're not justified by the works of the law of Moses. That system won't justify it. Romans 3.20. By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16, Romans 3 verse 28. Those are passages that point out how an individual is not justified. But turn over to the third chapter of the book of Galatians, starting verse 22. But the scripture hath concluded all unto sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith which would after be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. That's how we're going to be justified, by the system of faith. What's that? That's the gospel. Acts 6 and verse 7. Move down through this particular chapter in verse 26. Now, you great students can check this. We're all the children of God by faith. Somebody said, literally, these things. That's the gospel. We're all the children of God by faith in Christ. For as many have been baptized into Christ to put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, born nor free male nor female. We're all one in Christ. Because we be Christ and we're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, who has the right to set how we're justified? God. What does he say we're justified by? The system of faith. And we must believe what's involved in the gospel. In Acts 13, verse 39, and in Romans 5, verse 1, Paul said, Therefore, being justified by grace, uh, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But in Acts 13, 39, and by, all, by him, all that believe are justified of all things. Now, that's not by believing only. And they're certainly not justified in their unbelief. But, uh, and by him are all that, that believe are justified of all things. 
from which they could not be justified by the law of Moses. Well, now why? Well, because that involved the blood of bulls and goats for one thing, and that couldn't take away sin, Hebrews 10, folks. Now, James says we're justified by works. Who has the right to say that? God does. There's the system of faith, the gospel, by which we're justified. There's the believing of what's involved in that system of faith. That's the thing by which we're justified. And we're justified by works. What kind of works? The works that God says we're to perform, whatever they are. In James chapter 2. Now turn over and look at some things that James had to say. He said, beginning in verse 14, What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save? Not his faith by itself. Faith out. What's that we're supposed to quit? Huh? At two thirty. I was looking at this watch, I thought it's two fifteen and well, we're finished before two thirty. But in verse fourteen. For what doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith say? Then he said, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, he said, What does it profit? What profit is? Anybody in this auditorium think there's any profit in it? You said something, but what profit is? My wife said, Come to eat. There's nothing on the table. What profit is that? Just got me to the table. I feel just as hungry as I was before. I come cold and I say I need something to wear. And somebody said, Be warm. They don't do anything to help me. But what good is it? And do be a particle. Not a particle. Well, let's see what he said. Even so. Now, that's not hard for me to understand. That may be in South Alabama, but in North Alabama, even so means something equal. Just like that. Even so, faith, if it hath not worked, he is dead, being alone. Then he drops down to about verse 20. He said, uh, in verse uh, 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works? Oh, was he? As Brother G.K. Wallace just said, shake or nod. Oh, I think. Was not Abraham our father justified by work? Now, James, what are you talking about? I'm talking about somebody who's justified. How is he justified by work? What kind of work? The kind that God Almighty ordained that he should do. Now, you tell me what's wrong with that. It's God Almighty that justifies. It's God who set forth the medium and the method by which we are to be justified. And if he said, here's the system that you are to believe and here's what you are to do, you tell me whether or not I can be justified by that. And if I can't, then I can't do what God says I can do. And brethren say, I ain't about to get in an argument with God. So they said, you ought not say ain't. Well, Roger said them that ain't saying ain't, ain't eating. Well, I don't find fault, man. But now then, let's move to point number five. Let's look at the manifestation of justification. Let's see some cases of justification. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul talks about some people who were in the church at Corinth. And he talks about the kind of folks they were, and he comes down to verse 11, and he says, And such were some of you. But! Now you tell me what that means. That means now it's different. It's not like it was. 
But you are what? But you are sanctified, but you're justified. Everybody in the house believed the Corinthians were justified. Anybody got an argument with it? Do you think they're justified or not? Paul said they were. Now, if I argue, who do I argue with? I argue with the apostle. Go back to Acts 18, verse 8. Paul's in Corinth, isn't it? I think that's where you'll find it if you start out. It said many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Anybody here determine whether or not those folks were saved? You say, yeah, of course, that passage says that. Doesn't say it, does it? You say it doesn't have to say it because the Lord had already said it. Then all they had to do is just do it. And when they did it, they're saved, aren't they? Now, question. If you'd gotten there right after they came out of the water and you'd met one of those fellas coming up out of the water, you'd said, you sure do need to be justified. Would you have told him that? Would you? Where's the person that would say to the person who had heard, believed, and obeyed the gospel that he needed to be justified? He said, I wouldn't tell him to do it. Why not? Because the same process for which he's saved is the same process for which he's justified. You see, now, is anything complex about that? Just another term to talk about the state of the same man. In Acts chapter 2, there are those individuals that were pricked in their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what should we do? They needed to be justified, didn't they? They put Jesus to death. And Peter said, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And the promises unto you and your father and to all them that are far off, either as many as the Lord our God shall call. With many other words, it is testified, exhort, exhort, say, save yourself. How? By doing what he told them to do in verse 38. That's the way they're going to save themselves, isn't he? He's not going to tell them how to tell them to do something in verse 38, then turn around and reverse himself in the next few verses. Here. Save yourself. Then he says, and then they gladly received his word, were baptized. Now, what do you expect happened to them? They had the remission of sins. The Lord added to the church data such as were being or should be saved. Verse 47. Where's the person to say to those individuals, you ought to be justified? How impressive. Romans 5, 1, being therefore justified by faith, we have peace with God for our Lord Jesus Christ. Read the ninth chapter of the book of Acts. And see when Paul reached the point where he had peace. I read in Acts 9, verse 9, that he did neither eat or drink during that period of three days. When Ananias came to him and his eyes were opened, he arose and was baptized. He took meat and was strengthened. When? After he's baptized. Acts 22, 16 said, he was to arise and be baptized, washing away his sins, calling on the name of the Lord. You think he's justified? He says in Romans 5, wonder what, when was it justified? Would you tell him right after he's been baptized for it, had his sins washed away? Paul, you need to be justified. I wouldn't. And so there are those things. But now then let me ask a question. <coughs> after an individual has been justified, do you think that that person may be motivated? to do some things that otherwise he would not do when he looks back and sees what God Almighty has done for him. Look at a case in point. 
Was there ever one that was more active in the kingdom of God than Saul of Tarsus and Paul the apostle, who after he was justified by faith, that individual gave himself without reservation in the cause of Christ? Let me ask you one other thing. Use your imagination for a moment and think about uh, Luke 18. And here's that particular individual that went down to his house justified rather than the other. He may not have felt that he was justified when he left. But suppose somebody had met him and said, I heard that you were justified. And he said, that's right. I know what kind of condition I was when I went in there to pray. You mean I'm justified? That's right. By the way, some of God's people are going to get together next Wednesday night and they're going to study the Bible together. Do you want to come? What do you think his reaction would be? He's going back home and somebody has need of help. He's been justified. God's done something for him. And they say to him, wouldn't you like to extend the help? Oh, no, I don't think I'd want to have a part now. That's a mockery and would be a mockery of that man's disposition and attitude. And what we tried to do, brethren, we tried to take a few people that are scattered around in the kingdom of God that haven't appreciated the fact of what God's done for them and tried to get them to do some things that they ought already be doing. Oh, that'd be a problem. The matter of giving of our means, the matter of attending the services, the matter of doing what God wants us to do ought to be a thing that grows out of our gratitude for what he has done for us. The divine principle of justification says you stand before God treated as though you were never guilty because God his son to be able to say that. I hope we can appreciate it. Thank you so much.